Hello, welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. <laughs> and we started this week with the Doctor Who theme. We did. Why wouldn't we? That's, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I mean, we've got to have a theme. We've got to have a theme. And if we have a theme for a podcast, it's that it's Doctor Who. Uh, and we love it. And uh, the theme song is so good in all of its forms. Um, except maybe the Matt Smith one. But <laughs> in all of its forms, other than that. Uh, it's 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 just timeless and awesome. At some point, we should we should rate our, our favorite versions of the Doctor Who theme. Absolutely. Um, Thank you, Ron Grainer, by the way, and the BBC. Yeah. Uh, Stereophonic. D- Delia Derbyshire. It was very much Delia Derbyshire's um, composition. Oh, nice. Uh, and then Ron Granger kind of took the kind credit. of took the credit, kind of tweaked it around. It's it's definitely a you know Bob Kane, Siegel and Schuster kind of situation. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Bill Finger anyway. really created Batman, as we all know. <laughs> um, Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty great. Yeah, it's uh, the first week I'm fully vaccinated, um, and spring has sprung in San Francisco, so I'm I'm having a great time, and we're revisiting the Doctor Who of our youth. So it's uh, what could be better. What could be better? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, looking great outside. It's looking great inside. If you can go inside, uh, I think we all go inside. <laughs> but um, things are looking no, bigger too. outside, too, rather as opposed to the inside. I don't know where I'm things going are bigger on the outside. Yeah, I think that's that should be the slogan for coming out of lockdown, twenty twenty one. Come on out. Things are bigger on the outside. Indeed. Like we've been uh, stuck in our TARDISes for nearly a year now. Yeah, and I think the the swimming pool has been empty for a while. <laughs> or are they transmat capsules? I don't know. Right, or side rats. <laughs> um, but yeah, so previously on Pull to Open, mm-hmm. we we've been using this randomizer to visit episodes in random order. Um, and what we have seen is a lot of Brigadier episodes. Uh, we had one double Brigadier episode. And we've now come to the other double bit Brigadier story. Modern Undead. Yeah, Modern Undead. This is a very special episode for me. And it's because this is the very first Doctor Who episode I ever saw, at least to my memory. Um, it was quite an experience. Uh, because I had no idea what I was watching. And you kind of have to picture where I was, which is um, northern Canada, the city of Edmonton. And we had uh, in our uh, household on the north side, we had never had cable television. And cable television in Canada, the big thing it meant was that you got the the American networks, um, of which Mm -hmm. there were only really three at the time. Uh, this is pre-Fox. This is like, you know, 82, 83. And, uh, but you would also get PBS. So shortly after we got cable, my brother was sitting down one evening watching a show with the new cable. And it was, uh, I saw this crazy opening credit sequence where it had like the, uh, you know, the Davidson credits. So it's like. Yeah, the, 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 the stars going. Pshh. 
Yeah, you got the stars, and it just like it's it's really in your face, right? Like the the Davison ones. It's like boom, the stars mm-hmm. come at you, and it, like it comes into the theme like and it's very like yeah. whoa, and it's this is sci-fi, <laughs> you know? Like it's very much like oh my this is god, be his face is made of stars. Yeah, so his I face thought, is literally made of stars. So you're it's really, I was really ready for this, you know, epic space adventure, and then it cuts right to this. British school uh, in the countryside <laughs> with a couple of ridiculous looking, you know, kids, I guess. They definitely didn't look like kids um, in suits. Jogging and, past. Yes. Yeah. And then there was like, we'll get into the, the, the story. But I remember thinking like, what is this? Like, I thought this was going to be some, some sci-fi adventure. And I was honestly ready just to get up and walk out. And then suddenly it cuts to the big thing with, where Turlo is pulled into the thing with the black guardian and it was like oh okay so then i was like so now so uh, speaking so- of um speaking of the 80s I'll, I'll just take it on a brief tangent here while we're thinking about overgrown schoolboys which is the the other thing from the 80s i watched for the first time this week was footloose oh nice i'd never never seen the movie footloose in which kevin bacon aged late 20s plays a high schooler um <laughs> And and does it much better, <laughs> much better than than uh, unfortunately the Mark Strickland does as Turlo. Um, yeah, much more but, convincing. You thought? <laughs> yes, slightly bacon. more convincing as a as a high school. So it is possible. I could see what they were going for, but yeah. Um, but before we get into Modern Undead too much, and it is you know I want to talk about now. It's a very special show for me too, and uh, it was certainly not my first Doctor Who, but it was. Um, the first where I realized a lot of the timey-wimey implications and the possibilities of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about where we were last week. Pyramid, uh, the end of the earth, and the lie of the land. Uh, mm-hmm. We've done some TikToks for it. Um, how, how's the show doing on TikTok, Pete? The show's doing very well on TikTok. Um, yeah, thanks everyone who's following us there. It's super fun to make these. Uh, we love to take just a little bit of the show that we're doing put it with some footage and sort of, you know, get you some, some of the highlights. And, um, yeah, I, apparently a lot of other people agreed or, or at least thought that, uh, it was, it was interesting to watch our take on that. The monks. Yeah. Not, not, not the best doctor who monster ever. Um, it's, yeah, uh, we, we can learn a lot from why the monks didn't work. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it was super fun. We're doing a bunch of these each time. Um, the uh everything with uh, we've done a couple with capaldi now so we did some with Mm. the what was the one we did sleep no more um we've done a bunch for inferno inferno is great when you have a seven episode (laughs) story you've got a lot to choose from in terms of uh, material which is nice but uh, no no tiktok's super great follow us there we're at poll to open um and and, um, and on Twitter, we did something unusual this week. We actually watched the episodes live together for the first time. And, uh, we did? And did a whole live tweet stream uh, under the under the, the rubric, the hashtag Mordrin Rewatched. So go check that out. Yeah, uh, no, it was, for, it was uh, great. Immediate reactions. Yeah, it actually brought me back to... Uh to what I what I used to do on Twitter for a living, which is like live tweet various <laughs> tech events. And it was, uh, I just kind of, the rhythm came back. Oh yeah, you just you just fire off various things, various observations, that was super fun. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely do more of that in the future. Hopefully we'll split it out a little more. We did it all in one night. I think we got a little ambitious there. Um, 
I like the idea of the the tech the tech event version of of light reading the show. I think would be modern unboxed. <laughs> yeah, uh, the modern keynote. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> modern unveiled. Yeah, the guy who plays well, modern. We, we also good, had the good keynote. We had the Apple Spring Loaded event this week, so we maybe did. Modern these, unloaded. Yeah, it's funny. These events. Well, I don't know. These events are no longer events because they're just broadcast now. Um, <laughs> so we're doing it for real now, man. With the, the yeah, if, if you're going to live tweet pre-recorded stuff, you might as well make it classic Doctor Who from 1983. Exactly. But yeah, the tweeting's fun. Watch for more of that. Um, we'll definitely be more on TikTok. And uh, we're also on Instagram. Well, we might as well get them all out, right? Pull to open 63. Mm. Um, yeah, we're getting some of the videos from TikTok there. Um, I guess I shouldn't say those are the same. It's, it's a different audience. They're totally original for you guys on Instagram. Yeah, uh, exactly. They're, they're just yeah. completely different from TikTok stories. Um, yeah, nothing nothing anyway. recycled here. <laughs> shall we uh, shall we get to the the part that i'm dreading the part yeah, of the show know, that where we recap it is my turn to recap the story the entire story that we were watching in a segment we call tldw mm-hmm. uh for either too long didn't watch or too long doctor who too long doctor who <laughs> well it's definitely uh, too long definitely not too long don't watch because we hardly enjoy <laughs> watching the show <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I mean that's the sort of two, that's a description of the entirety of Doctor Who. Too long, don't watch, uh, except we will do it for you. Exactly. Um, yeah, but all twenty six um, classic episodes. In, in case you haven't seen Wandered Undead, or if you haven't seen it in a while, like uh, Chris and I, uh, we'll recap it for you. And Chris, I believe it is your turn. It is my turn, and we do this without notes, without preparation, without writing anything out beforehand. Uh, and I'm kind of dreading this because it's such a twisty plot with so much involved. But I'm ready to give it a shot. I feel like contestant on a game show. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could pause it. I could phone a friend halfway through and be like, what was that thing? What's the thing with the homing beacon in episode three? Um, right. But yeah, I'm ready. It's going to be a challenge. Okay. Per custom, you will have 30 seconds per episode. And Modern Undead being a four episode story, uh, that'll get you two minutes. Okay. I feel I'm like ready. I did some of the work for you already, though. When I was talking about <laughs> my my first experience with Doctor Who, I feel like you could pick up right where like Turlo runs off the road. But we won't. I, we're not, we're not going to handicap you. I needed a handicap yeah. on this one. Seriously. All right. Okay. Are you ready to go? Ready. All right. Two minutes on the clock. And, and go. Okay, so the Brigadier is now in the school. It's 1983. He's retired. He's teaching math in the school. This kid named Turlo steals his car, runs it over. In a dream and or sort of pixelated weirdness, he meets the Black Guardian, who tells him that they he has to murder the Doctor, and uh, and then he'll return. He returns him. Turlo returns to the school. The Doctor, meanwhile, is running into a thing called a warp ellipse, which is created by this mysterious ship. Beams on board it with Nessa and Tegan, uh, and they they get out and then uh, they transmat down to he uh, Turlo transmats up to the station. This is where I start to get confused. Uh, Turlo gets up there. They they go back down, or they the Doctor tries to go to Earth in 1983. Thinks he's done it to to locate the source of the beam that means that the Doctor can't move. Uh, meets Turlo. 
Meanwhile, then he frees the TARDIS. Meanwhile, Nessa and Tegan return to Earth in 1977, where they find the Transmat capsule with a burnt creature who they think is the Doctor. Uh, and they find the 1977 Brigadier. Um, and anyway, both sides of this weird flip story uh, then uh, go up once the Doctor has reminded the Brigadier of who he is, because the Brigadier has forgotten the Doctor for some mysterious reason. They both go, go back up to the ship. Uh, Turlo has to try to keep the two Brigadiers apart. The Doctor has to keep the try, try to keep the two Brigadiers apart. Uh, Mordrin okay. is the burn guy who is convincing everyone. Uh, that he was the Doctor, and it turns out that he and his eight mutant friends need the Doctor's regeneration energy, but they actually use the Brigadier's energy from, from meeting. Uh, the Brigadier loses his memory, uh, returns them back to Earth, uh, Mordrin and his fellows die just as they wanted, which was a rather convoluted way of committing suicide. Wow. Until not... joins the Doctor. Great job. Six seconds. Anything else? Oh, God. Uh, yeah. It's Jubilee. Time. It's the Queen's Jubilee. <laughs> In 1977. <laughs> there wow. was the Jubilee. That was the Jubilee, all right. Yep. Great job. Wow. You did it in less Thank you. less than two minutes. Nice summary, my friend. I, I've been, I've been, I realized that I kind of been practicing that in my head all week because I also read the Target novelization. Oh, okay. And I think I, I had to do it. It's the first time I've done that in any of the shows we watched. Like I dipped into it for Inferno, but this time I read the whole thing. You actually read it like in the past two weeks, you mean? Yes. Uh, oh, wow. After we watched, after we live tweeted the show, I read the Target novelization. It's it's available on Scribd. It's super short. It's like 150 pages. It really is Peter Grimway kind of phoning it in and just sort of turning his script into a story with the minimum of additions, the minimum of effort. I sort of vaguely but remember it, he did that for Time Flight as well. I could be yep. wrong. Yeah. So he wasn't... Uh... Almost certainly wasn't like Eric uh, Sayward, who would often go into these weird digressions that had nothing to do with the story because <laughs> he had to get some weird <laughs> sci-fi brain fart out of him. Uh, read the Twin Dilemma yeah, the... sometime. It is really weird. Oh, God. Anyway, oh. <laughs> we're not when here I'm to talk about novels, someone. though. But uh, you, it would be... It would, <laughs> no, it would be but... let, let us know as we go, you know, what, what, what departures um, the novelization has yeah. many. There were, I mean, spoiler alert, there, there weren't really any, but it was uh, maybe a few extra things. Uh, like, Turler really hates Canon Whitstable, uh, who was never seen in the show. And no, never explained why he hates them in the in the book either. But, uh, but that's sort of a big thing in it. Um, but I, it was useful to read it just to keep track of all the comings and goings between the ship and Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's what I've been uh, dying to ask you, Pete, is... is did you were you confused by the going back and the forth and how they got there and the transmat capsule and the homing beacon and all of that stuff? Um, yes, like well, the first time I watched it, completely. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Let me tell you this, Yes, yeah. the first time I watched this, which I was brand new to Doctor Who, I didn't even know the inside of the TARDIS and the exterior were the same place until episode two. Wow. I kept wondering, like, how are they in this weird? hallway with round things in the 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 walls and then suddenly <laughs> they're they're running by this police box in a spaceship somewhere like what that doesn't make any sense Remember, keep in mind i was 10 um yeah but so like that that was all yeah i, I couldn't really keep track of the go- comings and goings i mean the thing is the story is a bit convoluted in that sense um and it's not helped by the production design because one of the things that's so weird is that like the the transmat capsule is also like the TARDIS, like it's bigger on the inside. Yeah. 
which is kind of nuts. Um, so it's another thing, like, again, if you're new to the show, you're like, what? Like, what, is that a different place? Um, but the main thing... The novelization straight... does, by the way, confirm that the, that the capsule is dimensionally transcendent in the same way as a TARDIS. Yeah. Um, serious technology, as Ace might say. Mm. Um, but the... <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the, the main thing to keep straight is the two time zones, right? Yes. And that, and that, that it does pretty well. Like, you kind of get it. Once, once that sinks in, which, is, you know, it's pretty quick, like, oh, there's 1977, there's 1983, and they're kind of both working to sort of reunite somewhere, which is the ship, um, then, then that's fine. Then that, then that works. Um, but all the sort of back and forth of, like, the Doctor coming down and then the homing beacon and everybody trying to find various things. Um, I, I couldn't tell you who left here when... <laughs> And like mm. I just remember Nissa and Tegan are trapped in 1977 with the young Brigadier, the Doctor and Turlow in 1983 with the older Brigadier, and they end up all meeting up on the spaceship, which I guess is in 1983. That make that's the only thing that really makes sense. Yes, uh, it is, and <laughs> and it's super weird. And that the ship is supposed to be inspired by the Flying Dutchman. Ah, okay. That was that was Grimwade's inspiration here. Well, it's funny he name checks he name checks two other ships, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Where, where Tegan's wandered around in the first episode, and she says it's like the Queen Mary because it doesn't really remind her of a spaceship. It actually reminded me of like Vegas hotels, like Vegas hotel lobbies. <laughs> um, Too much corridor. Yeah, lots of corridor, and then she says, "Oh, there's no like." She says the Mary Celeste, which I thought was a little bit clever. Um, since, yeah, it's you know. not the Queen Mary, it's the Mary Celeste. Yeah. Uh, very clever, Tegan. And also, uh, she's cleverer than a lot of English people at the time who were pronouncing Marie Celeste, but it's more proper to say Mary Celeste. Hmm. Um, yeah, just a minor nerd point there. But, uh, That's a ship But yay, yeah, Doctor point. Who. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know you were a ship nerd, So it's, it's interesting that you watched this at age 10, because so did I. Oh, wow. Um, I think I might have been nine. I, I was either nine or ten, because it was on PBS. I was not, yes. Um, and it was either night, late 83 or sometime in 84. So I'm pretty sure it was 84, though, Is because it... there was you know there was a delay between when it was broadcast in Britain and when PBS would sort of put it in its run of um, Doctor Who. Um, yeah, this, this was um, 1983. I was nine going on ten, and I watched it. I watched it live. And I did a thing which is almost unthinkable today, which is I missed part of an episode, and I'm pretty sure that Why? it was most of episode two. Because you just did that in those days, like you know, your right? dad would want to watch something on another channel, and it wasn't such a big deal. And we had a VHS, but like you know, tapes were scarce, and uh, who knew how to program? You know, anyway, I, I would not have been allowed to to tape Doctor Who unless it'd been like something very special like the five doctors I might have been allowed to use some precious tape for that but but you mm. know not Mordred Undead so I was as fooled at the time as Nissa and Tegan are by this creature Mordred uh, claiming to be the doctor I honestly um, can't remember if I was fooled I think I wasn't I was just more confused by everything but yeah not just confused right like I, I was intrigued by everything this is the cool thing about Doctor Who and why, even though this episode is, you know, ostensibly for longtime fans, right? They bring back the Brigadier. There's a lot of references to the Doctor being a Time Lord and other references to other episodes. But I think a lot of shows sort of wrongly assume um, that you can't make anything 
uh, you can't make it too impenetrable. And there's truth to that, certainly. But I also think, like, if you're doing enough world building, if you're taking your own um, story seriously enough, like, fans will sort of know, like, do their own headcanon, or, or not really fans, but new people will sort of do their own, like, uh, headcanon to sort of come halfway. And, you know, as long as you're telling a good story, you know, they'll 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 stay with you. Because uh, I, yeah. I could tell, like, you know, okay, this is clearly, like, there's some backstory here I'm not privy to, even in my sort of 10-year-old mind. I was maybe necessarily articulating it quite like that, but I got it. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, but this whole time travel thing is pretty interesting, you know, and I want to see how it turns out. It, it is so fascinating that you came in at probably the, the timey-wimeyest episode <laughs> uh, story of Classic Who, which is what this is. A Doctor Who doesn't really get this timey-wimey again in the classic series, does it? No, um, no. And it's funny, like, how few episodes actually use time travel as a plot device. Yeah. Um, the only other one that really comes to mind, I'm sure there's a few, but is, like, uh, Day of the Daleks back in the Third Doctor era, which was mm. uh, made made a big deal about uh, the, the paradox that, you know, the self-fulfilling paradox of, like, you know, the Terminator, where you go back in time to prevent something from happening, but in fact cause it to happen. Um, I believe the... I believe that's where the Blinovich limitation effect comes from, which is mentioned a lot in here. It was right. technobabble from Day of the Daleks. Yeah, and in this time it seems to mean when you meet yourself, you short out the time differential. <laughs> is that what happens yeah. with the Brigadier's Touch at the end? Um, okay, you know, this is like that's that's weird obviously and I, I don't know if they've ever used that again and i i don't think the way they've done it here i don't think it's necessarily like a thing you have to do every time because they kind of get away with it with this warp ellipse again more techno babble like mm -hmm. maybe that's because the doctor says something about the energy came from the tardis he shorted out the time differential something to do with the warp ellipse so the unique circumstances of this episode which is that it was convenient <laughs> and it was part of the writing at the end um they you know they had this weird energy discharge happen because it never seems to happen ever again when people meet themselves right um it, it you know it doesn't and it's completely abandoned in, in the rest of doctor who and as much as this episode pretends to um have some sort of connection to doctor who mythology it really is un, in, uh, uninterested in exploring it right right because there's so much going on and you know now that now that we have the internet and we can read up a little on the creation of this episode um we can understand why it's kind of a mess in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but yeah watching it age age nine or ten you just sort of at that age you so readily accept that things are serialized and that you don't really you never get much backstory on stuff you know this is why Star Wars worked so well with with that age group, right? You just you're used to walking into things in the middle of Episode Four, and missing stuff, and you know totally. certainly in that day and age you were, and you just kind of, you know, you cotton onto things a lot faster than you would otherwise. Um, but yeah, Doctor Who uh, went some very interesting places with Modern Undead. It definitely sparked and terrified my nine ten year old mind. I cannot remember any other episode of Doctor Who that has so given me the heebie-jeebies mm -hmm. where I was so mentally cringing behind the couch. There's a lot um, of... As this one. Well, what, what was scaring you specifically? Um, I'll give you... I mean, the best way, I think, to remember Mordred Undead is to think of, like, three or four scenes that stick in my head. 
One is uh, Mordrin wearing Tom Baker's coat with mm. his brain pulsating. Oh, uh, yeah. And that is so scary that it's uh, a cliffhanger. By the way, the other mutants were supposed to have pulsating brains as well, but it was too expensive, and that's why they're all wearing <laughs> brains in a jar. <laughs> they didn't basically. have that much spaghetti. They ran out. You know, no, there was but no I stores was... close by. I get it. <laughs> Doctor Who was made yeah, for $5 an episode back in the day, folks. They couldn't get enough pasta for five dollars. It was super weird. Um, but yeah, it's like even though it's clearly spaghetti, it's pulsing. And I had been. This was two years after I was terrified by what I now know to be one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever, which is Spock's brain. Oh my! You were terrified by Spock's brain. I was terrified at the age of seven. Just the idea. Like traumatized. Of it? Like someone could by take the, your brain. Pretty out? much the idea of it. I think I was brain phobic. Interesting. Like I still am. Like you know, I watched something like Hannibal, and it's super when he's like eating the uh, policeman's brain in, in the movie. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it just kind of really gets me on a very visceral level. I take I it think you, about eyeballs, and I think I think about brains. You were probably and, never much of a fan of the zombie genre. <laughs> I was never really exposed to it, and and I didn't really get into zombies until I got into Shaun of the Dead first. Mm-hmm. So that helped to neutralize it, I think. Uh, that it was presented first as a comedy thing. But yeah, I think it would have been way too scary for me as a kid. Um, And just, you know, a lot of the ideas of having your brain removed, presented in Spock's brain, never thought of that. Uh, McCoy at the end kind of loses his mind trying to put a brain back together. And they just kind of treat it as this light brush off thing. And I'm like, no, that's what has happened to McCoy. Oh my God. You know, so I was just... I was traumatized by that. I was traumatized around about the same time by Flash Gordon. Mm. <laughs> about things that aren't traumatic today, but like Zarkov loses oh, his mind at one point. There's like in some early uh, 80s stuff, there's a lot of sort of bleak, scary stuff. I was actually just talking yeah. about this uh, with regard to The Black Hole, which is a very eerie movie um, yeah. for kids. I mean, and not just sort of the, the jump scare stuff of like the robots cutting up people, like the... Just the Very whole dark. sort of metaphysical nature of it um, was yeah. was really it was like 2001 for kids almost, and I remember seeing it when I was around that age, and just like that's uh, you know kind of not totally freaked out, but a little bit freaked out. Uh, and there's yeah. definitely vibes of that here. I felt like um, a lot of the stuff on the ship where you're kind of alone, but you know mm-hmm. something sinister is afoot by like even just sort of the one of the sort of eeriest things, I guess, of almost like decor uh, anywhere is like when you have all these busts sort of looking at you, these yeah. people, but they're not people because they're statues. So there's that little area of that. I felt like that was a a bit freaky. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of times where people are sort of wandering the ship alone with this sort of 80s sort of synth music, but it's still like, mm-hmm. you know, like, ooh, what's going to happen around the corner? And to a 10-year-old mind, you know, you're kind of like, okay. This is uh, going yeah. freaking me out. To a ten-year-old, corridors are spooky. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah, they do the a good gla- job. Black Guardian, I think, is a, is a lot. <laughs> the Black Guardian was a lot scarier at age ten. Now he just looks like an old dude with a bird on his head, uh, and you're like, why? Why are you wearing this leopard print coat? Uh, <laughs> it's super, and you're wearing a bird on your head. What is going on? Is this Portlandia? Um, yeah. But back at the time, he was pretty scary, and Valentine Dial's voice was well, super scary. He's a treasure. I, I, you know, um, like uh, that he, guy, uh, like who who could be better in terms of that, um, that evil voice, will, that booming, 
you know, you will never escape me, Turlo. Like, I mean, the, he doesn't even have to twist his mustache. His, uh, <laughs> not that he has one. Yes. But I mean, the, his, his voice does it for him. Um, yeah. He has great. the best and scariest voice, had the best and scariest voice in television. And he was also um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, he was Deep Thought, both in the radio show and the TV show. Yeah. He was the computer that comes up with 42. And so that's that iconic booming voice very much tied me my 10 year old brain into these other things as well uh and i think i vaguely remember the black guardian from his tom baker run yeah you know so it was scary for that reason visually the two other things that absolutely freaked my head out age 10 were um uh tegan and nissa aging suddenly Mm-hmm. Yeah, their, their really aging terrifying. makeup is incredible and the way they, they just suddenly cut to them yeah like you're not expecting it and suddenly you cut to them and they've got all this aging makeup on and you're like holy shit because you are used to Doctor Who being at a certain level yeah. of cheapness and then here they in they come with this really professional makeup that scene is uh, so good. It really, it really just punches you. Like you're just like even even yeah. even today when I saw it again, uh, I was just yes. like, oh wow. Like okay, it is the one effect that still stands up. I think. Yeah. Um, and then finally, when the brigadiers touch, the screen flashes to white, mm-hmm. and that to any child growing up in the early '80s in the Cold War, I think that said nuclear explosion. Right. right. So that was so the other that thing was in 1983, yeah. keeping me up at night was, like, it, it didn't, you know, I didn't think nuclear explosion, but it, it sort of reminded me that that was a thing that was constantly on my mind at that age. Uh, and 83 was, like, we seriously could all have gotten up in 83. You know, there's that whole thing with the famous, uh, the Russian officer who uh, decided to stand down on an alert that turned out to be nothing like a flock of geese or whatever yeah um that was 1983 so this was like you see a bright white flash on the screen i'm like i i'm sort of kind of morbidly waiting for this moment in my real life um so that kind of dragged me back there remind me it's definitely not uh all chocolate boxes and rainbows growing up in the 80s well why don't why don't we also talk about one of the darker elements of this episode to Mm. stay stay with the theme which is uh turlo himself yeah. Um, so this is kind of a first for Doctor Who, and I think I remember seeing some interviews with John Nathan Turner around the sort of little after this time, and talking about how he was he was very uh, deliberately trying to ha- make the companions more interesting and trying to shake things up. And Turlo was probably sort of the apex of that in terms of companions, because he's the first bad guy companion. He's a snake mm-hmm. in the TARDIS. He's an agent of the Black Guardian who is there to kill the Doctor. Um, what what do you think of him? How do you how do you, you know, the character the performance? Um, does he work in that sense and and both in this story and just maybe even more broadly since we we've, we've already visited his departure in uh, <laughs> Planet of Fire. It is so freaky doing it in this order, isn't it? <laughs> right. We, I feel like we, we're we the River Song uh, of Turlo, right? We're we're encountering him in reverse order almost. But anyway. It's like in, in Planet of Fire, we uh, we hear about the solicitor in London being a, a crucial part of the the uh, reason that he is there as an alien refugee, basically, installed on Earth. Um, 
And in this episode, the headmaster talks about having to deal with the solicitor in London in a way more meaningful voice. And he almost kind of looks at camera as he says it. Like, mm. this is a meaningful moment that is never, you know, followed up. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, again, I, it's, it's a tale of two experiences. I think at the time, Turlo really worked because, you know, we see that there's something off on him about him. We see that the doctor is sort of surprisingly incurious about this creepy kid. Yeah, um, I took that to mean, and I didn't really read this at the time, obviously, because I hadn't seen any episodes, and it took me a while to actually get to this, but I feel like he's he's kind of reacting to Adric's loss still. Ding, ding, know? ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is confirmed. There's another thing that's confirmed in the, in the target novelization, is the Doctor's still feeling bad about Adric, and that's sort of why, you know, he basically needs another young male school child which sounds so bad. wrong now um but, but he yeah wants that... another war he wants another robin uh you know it's batman uh, uh, yeah. um, but he um he just so readily accepts him like as soon as he walks in the tardis he's like oh turlo this kid he's just wandered in he's here to help let's he can come with me like he even takes turlo with him to yep. earth without like instead of tegan and nissa his his actual current companions and uh, then at the end, he's just, yeah, come on board. Uh, and in, in terms of him being a pawn of the Black Guardian and there to kill the Doctor, why, like, okay, the, the cliffhanger at the end of episode one is that he's got a, a rock dangling above the Doctor's head. He's about to mm-hmm. bring it down on his head. Good cliffhanger. Uh, rather weakly resolved when the, the box the Doctor is working on explodes and pushes him backwards. They're like, whoa, you know, Buster Keaton moment. Um, <laughs> but... He had so many other opportunities to kill the Doctor. Yeah. Like, why not just shiv him? You know, every every schoolboy of that age would carry a knife. Yeah. Just, I just, yeah. It's, <laughs> times are tough. Stick it in the garden. Um. <laughs> Is it the Black Guardian sort of trying to maneuver him into this position where he'll lose all his regenerations at once? Like is that he's like you could you could stick a knife in him or you could throw a rock on his head, well, but but then he does yeah, suggest the rock over where, the head thing. Well, this you know like and this this comes up in later episodes where you know the, the Black Guardian actually accuses Turlo at one point of exactly what you were you are, which is that you know you've had several opportunities to kill him. What are you doing here, Turlo? And uh, I feel like that is the one thing that that is redemptive about him that he's very conflicted about killing the doctor but he's otherwise kind of as a character like he's fairly cowardly he's kind of cruel like he's, he's introduced as this very cruel schoolboy really the bully yeah. um to poor to hippo or ibbotson's um you know who, who i gotta say the guy who plays ibbotson um mm-hmm. hippo he looks exactly like the guy who played skippy in family ties um, I, I don't I, know the show. But, I remember because um... it, it was that was a big show at the time as well. And like the friend of the family who's like the nerdy guy is named Skippy. And like I literally like you could put him side by side. They're like the same actor. And That's hilarious. It's just a weird, uh, uh, weird quirk. I don't think they're literally the same actor, but it was like, wow, like the sort of nerdy, bespectacled, dark haired kid. Um, very, very common. Well, let me tell you what what a British child would read into Ibbotson immediately. Like, with the glasses, Billy Bunter. I don't know if that's a character you've ever come across. No. But it's, um, 
a series of uh, children's books, I think, from the early 20th century. Um, Billy Bunter was sort of this, uh, you know, because it was not a PC age. Billy Bunter was a kind of a fat loser. Um, but he was he was the center of, yeah, and sometimes sort of the hero of, of his own narratives. Constantly being bullied, constantly looking for sweets, candy, um, and desserts. And, like, it was just... It was so ingrained in the British mindset that public school, i.e. private school, um, meant a Billy Bunter-style character who was always right. being bullied. Um, Do you so remember just... Young Sherlock Holmes, the movie? I feel like you just described Vaguely, the, yeah. the Watson character in that movie <laughs> as well, who was super into sweets and probably looked like all of these same people were describing. Sort yep. of a despectable nerd. The bespectacled um, nerd. How far we bespectacled nerds have come. Indeed, right? Uh, <laughs> but back to Turlow. So, interesting notes about Turlow. He is the last male companion of the classic series. Mm. He's the last non-human companion in the classic series because he's not from Earth, which yes. the, the, this episode doesn't make explicit, but is very clear he does not like being on Earth and is from, you know, this is the mystery of Turlow, which was in addition to being a bad seed, where he, who he is, where he's from, that was a mystery. Which they really could have amped that up a little bit more. It's it's a little confusing, just based on Modern Undead. Yeah, agreed. And, and it's honestly like, now that we've, we've already done Planet of Fire, when it when it when his origins are finally revealed, it's a bit of a letdown. And I feel hmm. like they kind of retcon things uh, in a way that, that doesn't make sense, because he says a couple times in this episode he wants to get home, which doesn't really like he's supposed to be a political prisoner who is in exile um so why do you want to get home exactly like wouldn't presumably you be arrested i mean are you thinking you're going to be just lay low on some island somewhere on tryon like i'm, I'm not sure what what his plan was there but um, yeah home system maybe who knows yeah there's something um but yeah but it, he didn't back... really have it figured out at this stage did he peter grimwade it's a sort of it it no. does feel like he had so many great concepts and he's phoning a lot of them in. He's not a, he's not thinking through a lot of these implications. And why yeah. would you? I mean, to to a certain extent, at the in the time, Doctor Who was hack work for for a lot of writers. Right? It was not necessarily something you bring your A game to. Um, uh, though though yeah, a lot of these sort of threads don't quite work but the mm. the the story itself does i think you know based on the sort of timey wiminess of it but um just getting back yes. to turlow for a bit i don't ultimately i think turlow um is he's pretty strong in his first episode given what he's sort of promising and i just wish that it was paid off a little more um with regard to like where his character's from what he ends up uh, meaning to the doctor because I, I honestly don't think in in Turlo's entire run he ever quite fully redeems himself. Um, mm. Even though he, you know, in Enlightenment he he decides to betray the Black Guardian instead of the Doctor, um, he's always still just kind of like this coward who who's kind of whiny throughout. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, I, I he's hard to like. It is hard together. to like. It's hard to like a character who doesn't have any agency. We saw this in Pyramids of Mars mm. with Doctor Scarman. Um, like we don't really he's as a villain he's kind of eh because he's mind controlled the whole time Turlo right. is struggling against the Black Guardian and maybe that's sympathetic but it's like we didn't like him in the first place yeah he's he's introduced as an asshole who 
And that's the thing. I don't think, I think what Turlo needed, what they needed to do with Turlo was ultimately unpeel why he's an asshole. And mm-hmm. it, it, because all that backstory just gets thrown at us in his last appearance in Planet of Fire, um, it's never, we're never, he, he just kind of plays that part as sort of the cowardly asshole here and there without mm-hmm. any sort of depth to it at all. Uh, and even, even then in the, his last appearance, he kind of just, you know, it's not quite, um, it's not quite, you don't quite get the motivation and, and the character depth that I think that journey deserves, uh, which could have been really interesting. Yeah, and, and even watching it in the order that the randomizer has taken us. The randomizer loves Turlo. Turlo is the randomizer's favorite companion. <laughs> Clearly. Um, if you don't count the Brigadier. Um, but it's shown us three Turlo episodes now. And even seeing the Turlo he would become does not redeem the Turlo in Mordred Undead. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form. He still comes across as an asshole. Yeah, agreed. Um, uh... But yeah. But but one who I mean the, you know the actor was a, was a lot braver given that he was basically hooked up to a car battery. Uh, yes. The episode, which... Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so he has the little crystal that the Black Guardian yep. gives him that he holds, which I thought was actually really cool, um, especially at the time. I mean, it's not the greatest effect, but it's like it's it gives you a bit of a visual thing to hang on to with this bond, as opposed to like he suddenly, you know, the other option might be he just goes into a trance at certain times and then you know, talks to this thing that isn't there in the way that, I don't know, like a quantum leap <laughs> or something would, would, would do it. Um, so that, that, that was actually okay. Um, but apparently they lit that thing up with a car battery and, you know, I mean, the, the car batteries, I guess, cost you more than $5. Uh, maybe they, uh, they just pu- <laughs> pulled one out of like one of the cars in the parking lot. And I'm just, you know, I'm surprised Mark <laughs> Strickson is, uh, is still alive to talk about this. Um, yeah, seriously, it wouldn't be allowed today, and and all for that one effect where he's just sort of shaking his hand with the crystal in it, right? Yeah, right, and it just it's lighting up. Well, I guess it's to provide the light, but also like you can briefly see the wires in that moment. Oh, where it's like it's super glued yeah. to his hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. You um, can see the wire going up his arm. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's um, funny, but yeah. Yeah, uh, it's there's so much going on in this story, and and we know that that Grim Wade was kind of working uh, under the auspices of John Nathan Turner, kind of imposing all these things on him. You know, first mm. of all, you have to introduce Turlo. Secondly, we have to get the Brigadier in there, and it was originally not going to be the Brigadier, right? It was That's right. It was supposed to actually Ian. be Ian Chesterton, the mm-hmm. one of the very first companions of the Doctor, which I would have loved to see. Honestly, I feel oh my like. God. Um, Ian Love the Brigadier, but missed opportunity. Yeah, what they've done a lot in various other like novels and comics and stuff, and bringing back Ian for other stories. I mean, they've you kind of like really get a sense of like, oh wow, you could you could do so much. It's it's like a wellspring of interesting things you can do, even if the character is you know pretty straightforward as sort of the the younger action hero when it you know he was conceived to to be paired with the first Doctor. Uh, but yeah, it was he was supposed to come back and reconnect with ian and that makes a to a, a ton of sense that it's based in a school right because he was a teacher yep. and um this would this would have been a very good hearkening back to doctor who's origins and get a lot of that fan service uh, but unfortunately william russell was unavailable so for some reason they decided to get the brigadier and have him retire to become a school teacher <laughs> so he could match the script which is you know not terrible um, but as, of course, a side note to that, 
uh, what by doing that, they mm-hmm. inadvertently for all time screwed up the dates of the unit era because this episode more than any other probably um, pins down when the unit stories took place because it specifies the brigadier retired a year before the first time zone, which is 1977. So he retires in 76, which is Mm -hmm. actually about four years before the first unit story is supposed to be set. Uh, So it, it has created this incredibly, uh, I would say almost, um, I don't know. Um, serendipitous accident because uh, it's it's produced so many fun fan theories and references about unit dating uh, but I don't know I, I'm pretty sure yeah. the the production crew that, of Modern Undead would like to have this one back and fix those dates <laughs> because uh, they have screwed up everything uh, for all time for anyone trying to pin these, down when the unit, the unit stories took place these days you would say they were just trying to mess with us they were deliberately trying to troll us by by putting the brigadier in this role you're deliberately trying to troll this this question that that had already arisen about our unit stories set in the 70s or 80s um and by deliberately having a brigadier on both sides of the line i mean that would that would today be interpreted as a screw you to fans or like a or a nod to the whole controversy, right? The way it is in Day of the Doctor, where Kate Lethbridge Stewart says something about, you know, look in the unit files, you know, seventies or eighties, depending on dating protocol, some some babble like that, just to acknowledge right. the controversy. Uh, but I, I had not read until um, so I went back to Doctor Who magazine, read read the Fact of Fiction recap of uh, Mordred Undead, and they have they lay out the whole brigadier theory of how you can have all of this make sense within the same timeline and uh unfortunately we we will never see it but it's based on the idea that there is a um adventure a brigadier adventure that we have never seen and the brigadier adventure features him retiring uh from unit in the 80s being transported back somehow timey-wimey wise to 1976 realizing that he has to lay low um oh my to avoid sort of you know meeting himself so that's why he chooses this out of the way school um you know which i don't believe is cover story for for a second i don't believe the brigadier is a math teacher i don't believe he knows how many (laughs) beans make five (laughs) how many do uh, make five yeah but but answer? also I think part of this theory is that Benton also has to go back with him because he says, says something about Benton being a used car salesman. Is that right? He uh, does, yeah. Which so is like that... it's it's one of the kind of amusing asides, and uh, <laughs> you kind of like go, oh, like all these cool unit guys who were you know part of this top secret task force that tasked you know with. Um, uh, thwarting alien threats, surely they could sort of write their own ticket after that, right? And go on to be yeah. these great places. No, he just goes and sells used cars and some towns. You, you would think that, but that is actually what Jeff Hurst, the hero of British World Cup, the English World Cup victory in 1966, Captain English Captain Jeff Hurst, or striker Jeff Hurst, was uh, selling used cars in 1983. Oh my. So was that, was that I, actually I could... a direct reference to that? I don't know. I mean, it, but it was just the sort of thing that footballers did. 
right? So just sort of you weren't used to people in the public eye kind of getting famous from being in the public eye or getting rich from being in the public eye. It just didn't didn't necessarily follow in those days. So I, I could see Benton kind of downgrading himself. Going for the but quiet that's life. the other reason I, I like this theory was that that was a cover for Benton as well because obviously he had to lay low to not run into himself. Mm. Um, and it just, yeah, it, <laughs> that's, that's my headcanon now. It, it's pretty it good resolves theory. the whole unit dating dilemma, and yeah, I like it. Resolves part of it. We could go into why period moods of Mars doesn't actually sync up with stuff either, but um, <laughs> you know, Sarah being from 1980, which is a little off if the invasion is 1979. Anyway, yeah. we can we can we can do uh, Sarah, that. Sarah likes time. to round things down to the nearest decade. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's... that's her thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know. But the story is definitely notable for that. It's notable um, for that flashback sequence. So when the doctor, mm. you know, tries to jar or jars the the brigadier out of his memory loss, um, which I thought was very very good. I mean, I mean, it was just this deep little, oh. um, you know, the music's good. He whispers it in here, calls him Colonel Lethbridge Stewart, which I really liked. You know, mm. um, God, again, that was not really. Scene. Not really getting that the first time, but the later after, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, man, he used to be a colonel. Um, and then they show, like, which was really, like, um, pretty pretty rare for the time, this these clips, right? Because you didn't really get reruns much. Mm, exactly. And they actually show footage from some lost episodes. Like, the invasion was, was pretty much lost by then. And they show the, the Cybermen from the invasion. They showed a Yeti. Um, those ones have... Pr- since sort of come to light i think at least some of them um but at the time it was like oh wow not only is it like a flashback it's flashbacks with stuff you can't even ever ever actually see they really went to the archives of the bbc and and yeah. uh, showed off some good stuff so yeah definitely. this is these these days you'd call it fan service but we didn't mm-hmm. have that that phrase back then but that's absolutely what it was because you yeah you wouldn't see reruns in 1983 we had just and i still remembered it fondly in 1981 we'd had a series of doctor who reruns called the five faces of the doctor and it was uh, a story from each doctor and then you know including yeah. the fifth face which they counted logopolis as as his story which is kind of a cheat but oh meant we got right. two yeah meant we got two tom bakers so i'm i'm, I'm fine with that um <laughs> But, like, that was the only time I could remember any Doctor Who reruns on BBC. Uh, which is weird, because, like, it's so great, and you have the you know, your archives, the BBC does repeats all the time. I don't know why they didn't fill more of their schedule with Doctor Who. But, anyway, they didn't. So we had to make do with little, little moments like this, almost like a little fan film of the Brigadier's history. And you're right, it is super creepy. The radiophonic workshop music in the background. The doctor leaning in and say the the brigadier saying, Something's just walked over my grave, and the doctor saying, Perhaps it was a Yeti. Mm-hmm. Or a Cyberman. I love and he's he's like zeroing in on him and he knows that he's got him in his thrall and he name checks all of his unit assistants, which is nice. Right. Not in order. Joe Grant apparently comes first, then Sarah Jane Smith, then Kate Shaw. Um, right. Liz. <laughs> Liz Liz Shaw. Sorry. Yeah. No, like in the, in Sorry, the all of them. Um just slowly but surely goes down that tunnel, starting with the unit people like uh you know, Benton. Harry Sullivan, he mentions, um, mm. who was apparently doing something hush hush with NATO, which was kind of funny because 
they took that one line and uh, Ian Martyr, who did some of the novelizations and, and played Harry yes. Sullivan, actually ended up writing a novel. Uh, or maybe someone ghost wrote it for him. Who knows? Um, yeah, whole spinoff. Yeah. Just based on one line. Fantastic. It was, was just like a um, sort of a fun James Bond-esque uh, yarn. I remember reading it. It was kind of fun. Um, but one of the other things yeah. this does in terms of not necessarily fan service, but um, continuity, it is the the story that uh, really the first one that explicitly spells out like unequivocally how many regenerations the doctor has and how many he's yep. used. So the 12 regeneration limit for Time Lords was established in the, the Deadly Assassin, even though they'd mm-hmm. shown the doctor, you know, regenerating and call it that until Planet of Spiders. But the, they, they spelled that out already. Uh, and we always kind of like, I think it was always thought that Bill Hartnell was one and then the rest follow. But this is the first time he basically, the doctor says, there's eight mutants and eight of me. If I give mm-hmm. them my remaining regenerations, I'll no longer be a Time Lord. Which So this is this is the story that does it, that essentially confirms the quote-unquote orthodox view that the doctor, you know, the, the Peter Davison's the fifth doctor. Now, all of this, of course, was retconned again um, in, in, <laughs> in the most recent season with the Timeless Child, which threw that whole thing out the window and yep. endorsed a whole completely different point of view. Um, but this this is, the, like, it's funny, like, the show went this long before really stating this stuff out loud. It's funny that, you know, there's there's all parts of the show that fans kind of do and adopt, which is, like, the fifth doctor, like, you're calling the doctors by their, where they come, right? Like, the fifth doctor yep. in, in, in sequence. And, um, but that's never done on screen. Um <laughs> And this is one of those things, right? Where there's like, you kind of piece it together from things on screens, but it took this this script to actually say it out loud. Um, yeah, and it's it's funny revisiting it and realizing that's where I knew it from. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, be, yeah, you're right, it had to be mentioned in Deadly Assassin in 76, but it was never said that the Doctor was, had that many, you know, brains of Morbius, obviously had more images of the doctor flashing on screen that's a whole other you know continuity controversy there so this story basically is like oh never mind that (laughs) no we're we're not going with that that was a one-off thing Um, and maybe it was to help set up the five doctors just just to be very explicit about how many doctors there are and why Mm -hmm. why one of them is going to be trapped in a vortex you know uh you know i I guess they they had to that was very much on their mind they had to lead up to that um, true, true. But it's wonderful, and it's, it's it. Yeah, it is sad that it's sort of treated so casually, um, and that they don't ask more about it. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> tell us more about Gallifrey, Doctor, and tell us more about why you have twelve regenerations and how this whole thing works. Which you'd think the companions would be interested in. Brigadier might be a little interested in maybe, but no, it's just sort of thrown out there. I have eight lives left. There are eight of them. They want me to use my lives to kill them, which is. Right. The more I think about it, the more I see that this 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 whole plot is, you know, it's like the Flying Dutchman stuff has been kind of buried. But the whole mm. plot is about a bunch of 12 mutants who want to commit suicide. Right, exactly. Which is uh, kind of weird to me because it's like, okay, I get that you continually regenerate. Yeah. But surely if you crashed into a supernova, like, 
Mm-hmm. Not the, what is there to regenerate? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't see how this is a problem, you know, if you just want to die. Well, this is, you know, in, in a very Moffaty way, uh, using a lot of ideas that aren't quite panned out. But the idea is that this ship is not supposed to be pilotable by them. It's their right. people sent them into exile. And it's just, you know, like the Flying Dutchman, every seven years, the Flying Dutchman was allowed to come to port. Uh, that was the myth of it. And th- this one is 70 years so every 70 years they are programmed to land near a planet which is why they arrive and then they stay there for seven years i think which is why they arrive in 77 and they're you know desperate by 83 right uh, so they can like get help i guess but yeah never quite happens i get like i mean because Mardrin goes down well i guess because they shorted out shorted out the time differential um so Mardrin <laughs> goes down to he he's you know, regenerating, degenerating. And then like, I guess all the mutants on board are just sort of never woken up yeah. over those seven years. So that way, you know, that's why it just, yeah. Only, out. only yeah. one of them gets to leave. He's the designated dude, but like, why not just go, why not beam down to Switzerland where euthanasia is legal and just, you <laughs> know, have, have their best experts come back up to the ship. Like they really didn't, think about like were they seeking out the doctor it's not quite clear how did they know that he would use his regeneration energy or like there are just so many coincidences happening here to start with yeah there is um i i feel like the uh there was a lot to unpack with like uh, you know there's probably a whole adventure you could talk about how the mutants or whoever was the leader apparently modern like stole this stuff in the first place because apparently it's stolen Time Lord technology. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of like interesting little threads here that are never like fully explored. And yeah, I mean, but story wise, um, yeah, I just never really bought that the 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 mutation thing was was this unsolvable thing. And it also kind of like if you think about it, particularly with subsequent episodes, like um, whether it's the Five Doctors or you know when uh, uh, the time of the Doctor where the Time Lords grant regeneration energy or promise to grant regeneration energy to people to, to if they do something they want, um, you know, why not just give some to the these guys and let them die? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that is an interesting thing. The ram- randomizer has taken us from an episode where the Doctor uses regeneration energy basically as a light show. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, yeah, and and he had land, yeah. used it in in the light of the land, and then he had used it previously in that season to just give Davros a little bit of extra life, and now we go straight to a story where he's like, "No, I will not use even a little bit of my regeneration energy to kill you, poor creatures who are suffering." Well, um, and and at the end where they're like, "Well, he's forced to do it because of Tegan and Nissa's condition," it's a little bit like, "Well." How about I just hook up Tegan and Nissa to this thing, yeah, and burn like only one or two lives to fix them, but not I'm, you guys. You guys just fend for yourselves, right? I I don't know you guys. You're not my friends. That is, uh, it is super weird that he, right at the end, he he does, and I did sort of miss this out in the recap, so we should probably go over it in a little um, more exactitude because uh, Tegan and Nissa cannot leave. The, the TARDIS has to go through time to escape the ship. So they are either mm-hmm. going to get old or get young because they have 
been mutated by some disease that the mutants are carrying, but it's not quite clear what that is. Um, but anyway, it's sort of the doctor agrees finally to, I guess he agrees to give up his regenerations, mm-hmm. which because it will also heal them. And I, you can hear the questioning tone of my voice. I say all of this because I'm like, <laughs> despite having watched the show multiple times, despite having read the target novelization, the motivation makes such little sense to me still that it's just well, I have to I, say it to understand it. Yeah, I mean, you could stretch it that his sympathy for Tegan and Nissa caused him to essentially change his outlook toward the mutants. And like when he, he lashes out at them when they ask him to do it in the first place and says, oh, this is the product of your own twisted ambition, or I forget the exact line, but he says something like that, and he's very kind of dismissive and angry. Um, hmm. But maybe that's not him, because that's a little bit out of character for him. You know, and maybe he really does feel guilty uh, and feels or for whatever reason feels it's his responsibility to to get them out of this. And he when he's sort of forced to do that for Tegan and Nyssa, he kind of comes like he 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 loses his own reasoning for not doing it for them. Um, I think his selflessness sort of takes him over in a sense. Um, That's how I I would twist it. I, I could buy, buy that. It just it, there's it, it no just dialogue agreed, that agreed. tells us that. Yeah. No, you kind of need to. It's definitely sort of headcanon or head head character development. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was I was also thinking to, to pick up on the Time Lord thread, like why they wouldn't simply sort of give them some energy to uh, kill themselves. Um, like I think the Time Lords want to send a message to the universe. You know, mm. don't mess with us. And these mutants wow. serve as an example. Like you don't steal our technology. We are in charge. And here's what happens if you cross us. That is a great idea. That yeah. is I, okay. That's <laughs> we're retconning mortared undead. That be the that's the reason that they're exiled. It's not that their own people have sent them off as, in their ship as they claim. It's that they are an example to the universe that the time lords are assholes. Yeah, well, and that's that. There's certainly a lot of uh, evidence we implicit will mess and explicit you up. about that. Um, you want regeneration? You got regeneration. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I do I do kind of like that in uh in you know, in a in a retcon sort of way. Mm. Um this might be a good time to to segue to our regular segment which we often do at the end of the show, uh, if the evil plan had succeeded. Um right. Because this is the evil plan here, right? It is to steal the doctor's regenerations. It's only headed off at the last minute randomly because the two brigadiers meet and that via the TARDIS provides the energy they need to kill themselves. Apparently. It's, again, not super clear. The TARDIS <laughs> can be pretty powerful at random times. Um, yeah. TARDIS, yeah. mass mutant euthanasia device. Just <laughs> simply plug into Is a Blinovich limitation effect. Is that button there? <laughs> there's, there's a little instruction sheet somewhere of how to make two brigadiers meet to create the energy needed to uh, power the TARDIS to yeah, kill Yeah, but it's people. all visual. Like, you got to have it because, you know, yeah. it's like an Ikea instruction book. <laughs> you can't really have it written out unless it's like old high Gallifreyan. Um, um, so if if the evil planet succeeded right. and, you know, the Brigadiers had not been there and the Black Guardian had been able to keep them apart, which is sort of, again, by the way, side note, really out of character for the Black Guardian to be like, oh no, let's not mess stuff up. 
<laughs> you know, let's not sow chaos into the universe by having the big deers meet. That's going to mess up my plan. But he did know what he was talking about. Um, anyway, he wanted the Doctor to lose his regenerations via the mutants. That nearly happened. If it had happened, he still would have been left with his current body, right? He still would have been alive. Right. He, I, I think he still would have essentially been the same actor. So Peter Davison would just play the Doctor until he died. And then there would be no yeah. show. Yeah. So, the, first of all, like, is the Black Guard? What does the Black Guardian do at that point? Does he say, "Oh, thanks, Tolo, Sayonara"? Or is he like, "Now you got to kill the final incarnation, Tolo"? Or is he like leaving him alive to uh, ponder on what he's done? <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, to make it make it kind of worse. That's a good question. Um, I think I think he gets Turlo to kill him. Then, then he's like, "All right, Turlo, now pick up that knife." And I think yeah. that's what he does. I don't think he walks away. Because, you know, the Doctor can always so uh, spin something up and, and reverse everything while yeah. he's alive. I think what it would do, and maybe this is going to be an interesting sort of what-if big finish audio drama someday where they could just sort of remake Caves of Androzani. Well, that's where I was going to go next, yeah. yeah. With, with, if he couldn't regenerate, boom, Perry's yeah. alone in the TARDIS. And he's just dead. Or, or at the end of Caves of Androzani... Like you set it up so that there's some crack in the universe where you can talk to the Time Lords, or some communicator allows her to talk to the Time Lords, where it's Perry who has to take the Clara role of begging the Time Lords for another regeneration cycle. Oh, for the Doctor. That's not bad. Um, and I feel like the Davison would, Doctor is a good one for that. Like I, it, would, it I wouldn't really do that is. for Colin Baker. <laughs> Sorry, because Colin. One, one of the things we love about Cave, Caves of Antrasani is the Doctor's in genuine peril. So Agreed. what if you amp that peril up even more? And there's definitely that suggestion at the end of he might not regenerate this time. Yep. So they 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 raise it already. It's the the plot is rife. So I kind of wish the evil plot had succeeded. Well, and you know what? I wish the evil plot had succeeded, and that each one of the mutants before they died had turned into, you know, yes. Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, <laughs> Paul McGann, John Hurt, who you actually could have got in uh, at a younger age. Um, <laughs> and then the final one is just baby Matt Smith, who was three months old at the time that Modern <laughs> Undead was screened. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. I would have loved to see uh, uh, a remake, essentially, with, yeah. with that happening. Like, he does it, and then it's like, you know, you hear, you hear uh, I don't know, David Tennant. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> well, oh. yes. All right. Then. And then he says it twice, and you're like, "What? Whoop! Two, two young David Tennant." That was a tiny, uh, wimey time. Uh, <laughs> this does like, sound like really perfect off. fodder. It sounds like perfect fodder for a YouTube Doctor Who editor, yeah. doesn't it? You can sort of see Mordred Dead intercut, Mordred Dead intercut with like images of these other Doctors. Maybe you siege the eye them on those uh, that would be regenerator amazing. platforms. I, I want to see this happen. But to the point, I yes. would love to see... You're actually zeroing in on something that is very different from the, the classic series and the new series. And it's not something the new series did right away. But over time, the Doctor got very Superman-like and very invulnerable. And regeneration became this thing that, you know, essentially they by the by the end of the... Capaldi era be basically talking about time lords are virtually impossible to kill and you need to do go to this special planet and give them 10 different poison like etc they basically became hmm. super uh, super resilient and that wasn't really the case in the classic series like the doctor was 
more vulnerable. He he did seem more human. Yes, he regenerated, but it was never like clear if that was a thing that would just happen no matter what happened to him in terms of like physical trauma. Mm-hmm. And I I I miss that. I really like that about the uh, the uh, the uh, classic series because it was like the hero was a little more vulnerable. Like you did get episodes like the Caves of Androzani and this one even. You really yeah. believe he's going to die if Turlo lays that stone on him. You know, you think like I, I wasn't thinking he's going to regenerate even after I learned about Doctor. I thought like if he gets clocked in the head and his skull is crushed in, he's dead. Yeah. You know, like but the new series has seemed to make clear that. That's not the case, that the doctor could come back even if there was like probably a single cell of him still alive. Well, and I don't I don't really like that. It's it's a little too uh he's a little too invulnerable now. I I'm gonna take issue with that just purely because as a kid watching Doctor Who, I was sort of irked at the fact that they just sort of lazily put him in physical peril. Um repeatedly. Mm. Because I, I had this sort of certainty that he would always regenerate. And I didn't even buy it in case of Androzani. Like, I know that it, that was the intention, and I see it now. But at the time, I was like, well, of course he regenerates. It's Doctor Who. Like, what, you, don't you know anything? Random evil person who wants to kill the Doctor on a random planet? Um, you know, it just it felt like it relied on that too much. And that's why Mordred Undead messed with my head so much. Yeah. Is because not seeing the scene... Basically, I, I think maybe all I missed of the show, rewatching it, you know, when it, when I first saw it in 83, all I missed was that first scene with the, the weird burned semi-naked Mordron. Right. Um, it's just sort of the weirdest point. I, I caught up with him when he... Yeah, the random teal toga. Um, and uh, the regenerating costume was super weird as well. But I, I caught up with that with that point where he could have been the Doctor, where he's in the TARDIS, and Nyssa has already covered him with the fourth Doctor's um, coat. I'm like, what is this? Suddenly the Doctor is in physical peril, and regeneration is a thing that has happened in response to some physical peril that I haven't seen. Um, and like suddenly it was hitting exactly that button in my head of like, oh, I know that the Doctor's always going to be safe. And this triggered this sense of, well, is he? Mm-hmm. Is is re- right. is regeneration always safe? Or regeneration is kind of a weird process. Maybe it gets out of control sometimes. Um, and I'll tell you something else weird, but the, the fact that he's wearing the fourth Doctor coat. Yeah, is, I really like that. Anyway. I love that. But also that was playing with my emotions Mm-hmm. age 10 because tom baker was very much my doctor you know ev- everyone when they have their first doctor the first doctor after their doctor never matches up i would, I would even agree. in years to come you sort of kind of tend to appreciate what they've done i'm sure in, in, you know peace davison was your doctor then you'd rather have less love for colin baker i do but... um and i defend that <laughs> even with you, you you're correctly identifying a bias here i think for for all yeah. fans and so and Tom it's not, Baker it's was not, my doctor. Yeah, it's not just the the bias for your preference of the doctor, but but the doctor that came after. Yeah, but there are other reasons not to like Colin Baker. But I digress. Go ahead. Yes, but Tom Baker. I mean, if you're a Tom Baker fan in 1983, and you're never thinking that you you like Peter Davison, but you know he's never quite matched up, and here here you are. Here is not just that moment, but the entire story of Mordred Undead. Tom Baker is like the ghost at the feast. Mm-hmm. Because you have the companion who saw Pertwee regenerate into Baker. 
you have two of the companions who saw Baker regenerate into, into Davison. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have the, the 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 coat which I young me had me hoping against hope that somehow they were going to turn him back, and maybe this moment was sort of a oh. be careful what you wish for. Oh, and wow. yeah, yeah, and it was the anniversary year, and you know we we didn't yet know that I think that Tom Baker wasn't going to be in the Five Doctors, um. But you know, we we knew that he was sort of the the Christopher Eccleston of his age. That at that time he was just refusing to have anything to do with Doctor Who. Right. So messing, yeah, that, it's definitely messing with you. Um, and yeah. probably they, yeah, I could definitely see how that would backfire for certain fans at the time. Now I only kind of look back and appreciate it because it's like just a callback, mm. and maybe I think that's how they intended it. Um, yeah. But I can definitely see getting messed with like uh particularly because baker was such a you know the he was the doctor for so many people um i could definitely see that that was a uh, <laughs> almost traumatic i i think nissa should have just gone the whole hog by the way and just just wrapped him in the scarf as well right it's like right. hey doctor you're cold let's, let's cover up that pulsating brain and stick a stick a brown hat on you um <laughs> well stick out like just, a stove pot, uh, a stovepipe hat they should yeah. have just trolled Tom Baker in the way that Stephen Moffat trolled Chris Eccleston in The Day of the Doctor, where John Hurt almost regenerates into Eccleston. Right, right. Like, you can just almost see the almost, eyes. He's, yeah, oh. the top of the ears coming. Like, you know, like this, this, the whole story is so almost Tom Baker. We're almost giving you Baker that they should have leaned into that. Hmm. Um, and to take you back to Jubilee Day. It, a very special day, which should be in the memory of everyone watching this uh, in 1977, because Britain really did go nuts for the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And, uh, you know, to, Clearly, to take it back then, yeah. which is when Tom Baker was on TV, you know? Uh, so there, there are just so many callbacks to the 70s here. Yeah? yeah, yeah, absolutely. By the way, which brigadier's uh, hair do you like better? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't really tell which one was the wig. Um, I know you you suggested it was a wig. I don't think either of them were wig. I think he just dyed his hair black for 1977 Brigadier. And did he just go back and forth? I mean, like, or did he do all his scenes of 1983 yeah. Brigadier and then do all the scenes for 1977 Brigadier? I yes, I think sense. that's what they did. Wow. Yeah. Film, that, that, the <laughs> wonders of, of pro TV, man. You can do things like that. I know. Uh, Before we could just, you know, computer generate hair color. Um, <laughs> to just get creative with the filming schedule. Yeah, and he always looks better without the mustache. Like it only happens a couple mm. of times, but it's like because the mustache was almost always a fake mustache for Nick Courtney. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, he's, I, he's more charming without it. Yeah. It's uh, it's so bad it's good when you look back at the old episodes. But yeah, when he when he didn't have it here, it was like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's that's actually pretty good. I love that the idea, by the way, is that. The, the Brigadier goes back, 1977 Brigadier goes back, after this traumatic experience. His memory is expunged. He completely forgets the Doctor. And what's the first thing he do? Shaves his moustache off. <laughs> so it's, it's like, is the moustache connecting him to the Doctor in some way? Like, he has to shave it off because it's got this traumatic connection? Yeah, the weird thing is he sees the TARDIS dematerialize. And yeah. you would think that would jog something, but instead he just kind of like, looks at it weird um and yeah runs runs and gets a razor i guess and, and a new car 
So ultimately, that's when the Brigadier knew how many beans made five. So ultimately, like, there's, I, I, what did you think, Chris? Does this thing hold? Does it hold up? What, what was your, what was your verdict on this? Yes and no. Yeah. (laughs) I think, uh, like, like a lot of lot of Doctor Who, it holds up as a tone piece. It holds up in individual segments. Uh, there are scenes, obviously it still sends, sends shivers down my spine. Uh, the timey wiminess was, was very ambitious. Um, the Black Guardian stuff does not hold up, I don't think, at all. Well, especially uh, his, fact, drags. his screensaver background does not hold up. But... <laughs> it's so 80s. Yeah. Oh it's my like, God. Every, it's like, so 80s that even in the too. 80s it looked weird. Yeah, uh, this is, might be the most '80s music of the whole era, and there was some serious '80s music <laughs> throughout the Davison era. But yeah. yeah, yeah, the the weird pixelated background where he meets the Black Guardian—it's just oh, yeah, it's so bad. The bird on the head, no, that that stuff doesn't hold up. The Turlo stuff doesn't really hold up. But I just wish that we'd had like introduce Turlo next week. You know, just focus on the timey wimey story. Focus on the Brigadier. He should really... Like, there are already too many characters in this. Um, get rid of the mutants. Right? Or, you know, or just bring them in right at the end. Um, focus on Mordron. Tell us more about Mordron. Like, it had such potential. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely one that you can... Like, we've already done it so much in this episode. Retconned it in our heads. Yeah. And, um, and there, there are good parts know, of that. There's something there. Well, here's the thing. I really think I'm a little more... I, I, I can't... Maybe it's because it's the first episode I ever saw. I can't mm. um, bring myself to say it's it's <laughs> an ogron. Uh, I think it does work, um, but I'll say I'll, I'll say I think you're wrong about Turlo in this story. I think Turlo is qu- quite good and promising as an interesting character here. Now it's too bad a lot of that promise wasn't totally fulfilled. They didn't know what, really what to do with him in places. Uh, he never quite redeems himself in his arc. Um, but in this story is sort of like as, as a thing we've never seen before, this companion who is, mm. is outright, not quite outright evil, but is working against the doctor. That's very interesting. Um, and yeah. Mark Strickson is pretty good. I mean, I think he's, he's overplaying certain parts of it. Um, but he doesn't really know where the character is going either. Um, and he's, he's, you, you, you are sort of torn on him, right? Because you don't like him, but you sort of have some sympathy for him because he's being manipulated by this person who's really evil. Um, so, mm. so Turlo, in my mind, works. And I like that he's here. I don't necessarily love that he's in this story. Um, and I, I feel bad for the Brigadier as sort of a fan, you know? Like, I feel like this is an inglorious not end to him. I know he goes on to do other episodes, but it's like... It's, Sticking that character into this story that was meant for Ian, um, mm. for this, I, I just don't, I don't, it's kind of a bad taste. As, not, as good as it is to see him, and I love Nick Courtney, as you know, I, I just don't think this treats the character that well. Um, but I think the story overall, uh, because the timey-wimey stuff works, the two time zones, like, mm. you kind of really get it, uh, and and when they converge, you have this natural increase in suspense, um, yeah, you know structurally it 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 worked for me. It came together. Now that said, all the things we said talked about apply, which is that well, there's too many corridors. <laughs> the mutants don't aren't very threatening. 
there's a lot of there's just a lot of sort of fluff and confusion um could be better overall and definitely a lot of wasted potential but overall like i think the combination of all those things really made it work for me so it's a dollar so i I think just on, on the Brigadier point, I'm actually kind of glad that it was the Brigadier. I mean, yes, yeah. I'd love to see the Ian Chesterton version, but the Brigadier has certain qualities that make him appropriate for this episode. One is his tendency to just blunder off down corridors on his own, because he's very certain of what he's doing. And there's there's that moment where Tegan whispers after him, chauvinist, when he, <laughs> he orders Tegan and Nissa to stay in the TARDIS. Which is, is very Brigadier. And they just but do. Also, like, I mean, it, it yeah. frustrates me about this era. And I know it's a different time yeah. and, and women were written differently, but I, I, Tegan and Nissa are not well treated in this story. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not... We expected more from Tegan especially. Agreed. Like, we know that she is willful. It's like when they get her in that white outfit, she just kind of like fades away a bit. Like in that white outfit, mm. I got to say, just to get it out there, I think was one of the worst choices they could have made for that character. I feel like not only is it a impractical outfit, it doesn't match the character at all. Like they really didn't get yeah. her fashion sense until the last season where she was in these much more bold eighties outfits. Um, and to, trying to get everyone into sort of a costume, right. Which is kind of what was big at the time. So like she had the air stewardess thing in her whole, yeah. virtually her whole first season. And, uh, in this white thing for, for yeah. the second season. I mean, just just really poor choices. The white outfit was just such an obvious and, and now rather icky John Nathan Turner attempt to show more skin yeah. on the show. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and speaking of, you know, ickiness, uh, Nissa also has a new outfit and the Doctor literally looks down it and, and says, indeed. Right. In, which is like, what? What are you even thinking of writing that in there? The Doctor, this is classic Doctor Who. He's supposed to be sexless, and you've just had him look down Nissa's shirt. Yeah, I feel like Nissa was one of the first uh, unofficial crushes from one of the uh, mm. the companions. Like, there, just previous to the story in Ark of Infinity, she she finally like gets to put on a dress, and she seems eager to show the Doctor. And there's there's mm. a lot in this season of of the two of them. I wouldn't quite call it sexual tension, but there's I, there's something going on there. I feel like it, it was it's good that Tegan came back pretty quickly because who knows <laughs> what the Doctor and Nissa were really up to uh, while she was gone. I mean, Nissa's hot. I'm just going to put that out there. Oh, I was probably crushed out on Nissa at the time, you know, and she was the smart one. Mm. She was very much the, the Hermione of Doctor Who in her age. And, uh, you know, that was very attractive as well. So Smart and yeah, sensible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe maybe there was, you know, that that can also be a headcanon that there were Doctor Crushes. Um, and we, we can unpack those as a randomizer journey continues. Mm. Maybe but, we'll um, uh, we'll continue with more in this uh, saga of the Black Guardian, the new Black Guardian saga here that they did. Uh, which I got to say, yeah. as a fan, um, I was pleased they didn't forget about him uh, and that issue that he had. Because basically they had... When when the Doctor escaped the Black Guardian, that's actually the genesis of the randomizer, and he put a randomizer in the target. Yes, and to evade the and Black the Doctor Guardian, takes it out. He takes it out eventually. He take he takes it out uh, just before the Leisure Hive, I believe. Hmm. Or in the Leisure um, Hive, or I forget. He has to leave it somewhere on some planet because he has to. I think it was the Leisure Hive. I think he actually like in that episode. It's like he he solves the problem with some tech, and he had. Part of it was removing the randomizer, and they're like, "Well, wait, 
Romano's like, do we don't we need that? He's like, nah, can't spend the rest of my life <laughs> just learning from some guy. And so it's a, it's all right. I'm sure the Black Guardian won't show up again in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it's not like he's the personification of universal darkness and evil or anything. And so he, so he does. And I'm glad they didn't forget about it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad the Doctor did abandon the randomizer because it means that we we picked it up, and we we added it to our own TARDIS. Exactly. So and, uh, um, shall we do it? Shall we see where we're yes. going next? <laughs> Or do we do we want to talk to the randomizer? We could chat with the randomizer. We 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 could try this. We're going to try this new segment uh, called "Interview with a Randomizer," where uh, I will, for the purposes of uh, dramatic tension, play the part of the randomizer, um, explaining why he brought us here. Pete, you will you will interview the randomizer, and uh, but just to to spice things up, the randomizer is going to have a random accent. And I don't know what that is. And, and Pete, I want you to give me a random number between 1 and 12. Okay, let me do it. Here we go. going to generate. And it is 8. Okay, 8. All right. So uh, begin the interview. I'll begin the accent. All right. Hello, <laughs> randomizer. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm all right there. Oh. All right, lad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad yeah it's all right, that. isn't it? Yeah, I'm ha- it is. It's all right, the show. I like a bit of Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad you're here to join us today and are able to speak with me. Um, so, you know, we've been on a, a journey for the last few episodes, and we've, we've seemed to have uh, come to the same Doctors again and again. Uh, we've done, so far now, three um, stories with Peter Davison, a uh, couple with Capaldi. Um, oh yeah, uh, Davison's my favorite. Oh, he is. Dave, well, Davison's my favorite Doctor. Yeah, out out of all four Doctors that have ever existed, ever, it's definitely Davison. Why is that? Why, what, totally, what is so appealing about him? He's totally my favorite. I think it's the celery. <laughs> it's the celery on the jacket. It's like anyone who would wear something so random on their jacket oh. as a piece of vegetable matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no one. It's rocks, just great. No one rocks vegetables like Davison. Yeah. And and he's got those little uh, question mark things on his collar. It's it's just yeah. great. I love it. I love question marks. I can't I can't I can't say why. Yeah. I just they're so random. They really they really uh, emphasize how enigmatic he is. Um. So what about what about Peter Capaldi? Like you, it seems like you like a lot of doctors that start that that are named Peter. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love Picaldi and uh, and Pat Davison. Uh, I like both of them. Uh, but uh, who I really like more in uh, in all of Doctor Who, my favourite companion, is definitely the Brigadier. Oh yeah, I love the Brigadier. I love him. I love that he started out dead as a Cyberman, <laughs> and and then he takes off into space, and then suddenly he comes back, and he's there are two Brigadiers. And one of them's got an eye patch. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah, is it? And so, yeah, I really wanted to see more episodes with with multiple brigadiers. So that's why I brought you here today. Do you prefer a brigadier with mustache or no mustache? Uh, I prefer a brigadier with a mustache and and with an eye patch. Nice. Uh, we've never had the two together, but I think that would be my platonic ideal of a brigadier. Yeah, and maybe maybe some cybernetic parts too. Um, yeah, awesome. 
Um, so do you have any advice for us as we kind of like journey out here, uh, you know, trying to get every episode in random order? How do we, how do, how should we sort of approach this? Well, you got to think about your, your classic series and your new series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you've been, you've been talking a lot of smack about Moffat, about, about Dave. A little bit. And, uh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> I call him. I call him Dave. He's Dave to his friends, uh, but Steve Moffat. Um, he's uh, you know he he has a lot of ideas, but so did the classic series writers. You know, so uh, they they pack them into the show at the same time just as much as Moffat did. That's what we saw with Modern Undead, and uh, you know, uh, sometimes they pack these ideas in like Turlough's story, which doesn't even work. I've discovered if you do it in reverse order. Right, right. So essentially, um, as we approach this classic series, like there's a little bit of a rose-colored glasses, you know, uh, cleaning them a a bit so that we sort of see it a little more uh, for what it really is than than perhaps what we remember remember it as. Exactly. Oh. So yeah, so Turlough didn't work and it really should have just been the Brigadier and it should really be the Brigadier in every episode. He should have been in Pyramid at the End of the Worlds. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe he, he was. He should have been in Lie of the Land. He Maybe might have been in the back of there somewhere. Uh, Lie that's, of the that's Land. That's my hope. Yeah, he's every time I see a Cyberman on screen, and by the way, I hope the Cybermen do return. They're great, great villains. Um, yeah, yeah, and, we like uh, them Every too. time we see him, every time I see him, I'm going to see the Brig. Are the Cybermen your favorite monster? Or do you have, a, do you have oh. something better than that? I, I love the Cybermen. I love how they're formed out of skeletons in water tanks. <laughs> I love how that's the only origin story for the Cybermen ever. Uh, 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 okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, okay, so uh, any other parting thoughts before we uh, activate you to find out where we're going next? I'm just going to say you are not going to guess where we're going next. <laughs> no idea. You know what? It's I believe fantastic. you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Randomizer. We're gonna, um, you know, turn. We're gonna put you back in the the mind ray, and we're gonna get uh, Chris Taylor back. One second. Let's yes. do that. Oh, who was that guy? Yeah. What happened? You okay? I, I opened. <laughs> I opened my uh, fob watch uh, just now. So I mean, you should be. Should be you. I. I think a, a Yeti walked over my grave. It was it was bizarre. Yeah. Um, a Yeti and a Cyberman walked over my grave. Well, it sounds like the, the start of a Gallifreyan joke. I'll tell you about all the advice we got from the randomizer um, after we activate it. So why don't we find out uh, where we're all going? All right, all uh, right. Let, let me, me fire up. Let me, let me let me get the the spreadsheet going. And I'm firing up random.org, which, as regular listeners know, random.org uses atmospheric noise um, to generate a true random number instead of an algorithm faking random numbers, um, as, as they are wont to do. Mm. This is the, the atmosphere is going to bounce around a lot and tell us where we're going next mm-hmm. on the spreadsheet out of 297 Doctor Who stories. So are you ready? I'm ready. I have the spreadsheet, and uh, let's just do it. Let's do it. Activate. All right. Geronimo! Twelve. Twelve. Oh my, I'm a little worried. Twelve. Oh, it's the rescue. Ooh. Damn, we're back I, in Hartnell. We are back. I know in nothing about the rescue. Is it available? 
It is available. It's been available uh, for forever, um, uh, since, at least since Great. I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we are we're not yet challenged by our first missing episode, uh, which we will yeah. come hell or high water. We'll find a way uh, to watch it. But this one is is uh, it exists in the archive. The rescue. Fantastic. Uh, this is the... uh, notable for being the first episode with Vicky. This is the first Ooh. new companion in the series since the uh, first episode. I'm very excited. I have not watched a lot of Hartnell. Yeah. Um, don't think I've ever seen Vicky. Yeah, it's a short have one. I? It's two episodes. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to be good. All right. Wow. Black wow. and white. Our, Bill Hartnell. Our fifth doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. William Hartnell, the fifth doctor. <laughs> Indeed. All right. I'm very excited about this. Looking forward to it. Me too. Well... I guess we will also be live tweeting this on our Twitter account. Yeah, Pulled stay tuned. 63. Pull to open 63. Um, thanks all for listening. For us to um, talk about a very special episode near and dear to my heart, Modern Undead. Um, if you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, <laughs> which this is, it's Pull to Open, it's a podcast, uh, please do. Um, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Uh, please subscribe, tell your friends about it. Uh, and leave a review if you can. Every review helps us. And if you leave a review, we'd be happy to read it out on air. Um, and, uh, and and should we tell people they can email us as well? Sure. Do, do people yeah. still email? If you email, it's pulltoopenpodcast at gmail.com. Exactly. And uh, feel free to email us there. Leave a review. Drop us a comment on any of the socials. Like we said at the beginning, we're at pull to open on TikTok to open 63 on twitter and instagram um yeah hit us up wherever you see right right in and and tell us how you would rewrite modern undead mm, indeed Let, let's let's have a modern exhumed hashtag Ooh, i love it all right chris any all party right, thoughts or shall we rescue everyone uh-huh from I, i'm looking forward to rescuing everyone i may just go ahead and watch those episodes now i'm so thrilled about it Okay, man. I will uh, pick up the tweet thread where you leave it off. Take care.